So here we are uh, on session six of the Attributes of God and we're looking at omnipresence. I don't know about you, but uh, as I'm studying these attributes afresh, I'm finding myself drawing closer to God and worshipping him in a way that I haven't done before. I do trust that this is your experience too. I would urge you to look up the scriptures because as you do, you will find something happening on the inside. The word of God is quick and powerful. It works on the inside of you and you will miss so much if you skim read this instead of savouring it and taking your time. God is not in a hurry. We think Concord. He thinks Camel. We have looked at the omnipotence of God and his omniscience and now we come to that most precious of attributes, his omnipresence. He is present in all of his creation simultaneously. God is everywhere and he's everywhere at once. We really can't take that in if we think about it. Let's pray together, shall we, before we start. Father of lights, all good things come down from you in whom there is no shadow of turning. It's such a source of comfort and security to us to know that not only do you know everything about us, not only are you all-powerful to act on our behalf, but you are ever-present with us, particularly when it doesn't feel like it. Help us, Lord, to understand and live in the reality of your beloved presence with us, overshadowing us all day, every day, that there's never a place where you are not and never a situation that you aren't concerned about. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. These studies for me is that I find myself in another place as I go through them. I become otherworldly. I'm so absorbed that when I leave my inner sanctum and join the household, I'm spaced out, if I may use that expression. I've been in another world and it's a glorious place, one that I don't want to leave. I'm having a foretaste of eternity and it's my prayer that something of the awe and wonder I experience can be transmitted to you as you join me in studying as much as we can of the great and awesome God who is our creator, redeemer, lord, saviour, friend, lover and comforter and so very much more, the one who is ever present with us. Matthew eighteen twenty tells us where two or three are gathered, there he is. That sums up omnipresence. When we come together in twos, threes or as a great group, one thing is absolutely certain, he's there. Omnipresence says that the whole of God is everywhere, at once, always. He's close to, near to, present, here, always. He is near to everything and everyone. The heavens cannot contain him because he contains them. There are no borders to God. He is limitless. He fills heaven and earth. You cannot measure him in any direction. If you could, he wouldn't be limitless. And he isn't spatial, as we will see. He doesn't measure distance when he speaks of us being close or far away from him. But what he's talking about is relationship, heart to heart, Matthew fifteen eight. He's not just everywhere, but the whole of him is there everywhere. Matthew 18.20 tells us that if two or three are there together, Jesus is present, all of him. He's within every individual Christian who is there by his spirit. We could be, for, be 
forgiven for believing he only turns up when two or three are gathered, but the truth is he's everywhere all the time, as we will see. There is nowhere we can go to hide from him, should we wish to, and nothing we can hide from him. And he didn't start tuning in from the moment we were saved either. He's always been everywhere that we've been. That calls one or two of us to get hot under the collar. It certainly causes me to do so when I think of my pre-Christian life because, of course, he was there too. And the ouch factor is high for me. He is totally where you are, but totally everywhere else as well, with everyone else at the same time. He's limitless. The whole of God is represented in every place at the same time. This is not like anything we know. We believe it, but we can't explain it. He's entirely in every place all the time. Jesus can appear in Boston, USA and Birmingham, UK at the same time. It's a total mystery. He can be in a crib blowing bubbles at his mother and blow, and holding the whole universe together at the same time. Utterly awesome. John, uh, the Gospel of John 1 Verse 9 tells us that God is in every man. He lights or gives life to every person who is born. Light in the Bible always equates to life. It's he who gives life to everyone. John eight twelve and 9, 5 and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6. Psalm 139, verse 7 tells us plainly that we cannot escape the Holy Spirit either. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is in every one of us who is born again and spirit-filled. He's with us, inside us, holy and fully, always. We don't just have a bit of him. What happens is we don't release all of him. So in saying that, I don't mean that everyone releases him as we should, simply that he is present as a person where he is and what he does is in complete accord with the other members of the Trinity, as we've already seen. They all act in absolute accord with each other. None of this is simple, because we would detract from the majesty of the Trinity if we tried to explain it and get our minds around it, because we cannot. We'd bring it down to our level if we could do, but we can't, because we cannot put God in a box. All we can do is believe. David had some insight into his own situation in Psalm 139, 7-26, as he asked some questions. Where shall I go from your spirit? He couldn't find anywhere to hide. And the answer is in verse 7, there's nowhere I can go. There isn't a place where you are not. I go up, that's no good, you're there. Verse 8, I go down, same thing, up or down, there's no place where you aren't. As someone once said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, just became more of a threat than a promise. Omnipresence demands that if there is any place, he must be there. And by the way, this proves hell does exist because God is there too. He exists in hell as well as in every other place. He's present in the lake of fire. Psalm 139 verse 9, If I try escaping on the wings of the morning, I find it's futile. I can't get away. God is there. That is a lovely statement of omnipresence. 
Finally, David accepts, you will hold and lead me. It's pointless trying to run away. You know all about me and there is no hiding place. David is actually stating the omnipresence of God right through the whole psalm and he surrenders to it. Beautiful. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. And here God is asking the question, am I not everywhere? Can you hide yourself? Do I not fill heaven and earth? God here speaking of himself. I am totally present everywhere. Live with it. Doctrine of omnipresence and incidentally infinitude that includes those most wonderful attributes of eternality and immutability. He has always been and will always be exactly as he is right now. He never ever changes as we will see when we look at his immutability. A very comforting attribute. It means he won't wake up tomorrow in a bad mood and change his mind about anything, particularly how he feels towards you. We have a tendency, you see, to reduce him to manageable proportions and we're finding that our understanding is tripping us up as he comes in majesty and asks incredulously, Have you not heard? Do you not know? That's Isaiah 40, verse 28. And it seems that some of us haven't heard and some of us don't know because we limit him. But he is limitless. God can work in any direction and in any way that he chooses. And anything he chooses is always good. That's another thing and another teach. His goodness. God is good good. In 1 Kings 20, 21 to 30, we have a very interesting story. In it, we see God's omnipresence in action when he sends a prophet to Israel to tell them what the Syrians are planning because they thought God's, Israel's God was the same as theirs and they found out to their cost that he wasn't. The Syrians had all kinds of gods. Gods of the valleys, gods of the hills, gods of the water and gods of the wind. Gods for this and gods for that. So they thought that the God of Israel was the God of the hills. And if they could get Israel down onto the plains, they would easily defeat them because their God wouldn't be with them. The Syrian gods, you see, were specific. They only did one thing. They had a God of the hills and he would fight on the hills and be no use at all on the plain. And the Syrians here thought they'd lost the first time round against Israel because they had bad chariot. They had chariots that couldn't get up the hills. So, by bringing Israel down onto the plain, no problem. They reasoned they would win easily. But God, being present with them, heard their conversation and sent the prophet to the king to warn him. The Syrians had no conception of a God who was everywhere and not at all like their gods who were no gods, gods. A lesson for us in this is that God is always on your side as you always outnumber the enemy. So no matter how small your army or your resources, God delivers. One with him is always a majority. The Syrians here were attacking God's character and he wasn't going to have it. So he moves the battle to the plain where they are soundly beaten, again. Sometimes, you know, we think that it's only those on the mountain top that he's with, but he's the God of the hills and the valleys. He's everywhere. 
God is God in whatever condition or situation you're in. What make you, what may make you feel distanced spiritually is whether or not your relationship with him is right. He isn't spatial. Distance, other than relational, doesn't exist with him because he's everywhere. He may feel far away because communion with him has been broken and needs to be restored. And because it will never be him who stepped away, we need to examine ourselves if that's how we feel. There are times when we're incompatible with him and he can't fellowship with us. Omnipresence says that whatever the situation he is with you, he's never against you. But we can mess up and distance ourselves from him. And this is why he's given us 1 John 1, 9, verses 8 to 10. So we can stay in fellowship, in right relationship with him at all times and know his presence is with us by faith, even if we can't feel it. He has everything covered to keep us in relationship with himself. Exodus nineteen seventeen and 18, and God appears to Moses and at the same time he's everywhere else besides he's just showing himself here. A wonderful revealing of him. He reveals himself in many places and when he does, it's always Jesus because Jesus is the visible member of the Godhead. In regard to meeting him, the nation of Israel made the mistake. They thought the fullness of God dwelt in the tabernacle and if you wanted to meet him, you had to go over there. Solomon corrects this misapprehension in his prayer of dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8.27 and he makes it quite clear that God will not be fitted into a nice little box because he says, The heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Solomon's saying he's upholding everything, keeping the planets on course, feeding the sparrows, giving breath and life to every living thing, He's got to be everywhere because he's keeping everything on course. That's who he is. He's everywhere and in everything. Amazing, wonderful. It's absolutely no problem for him to manifest himself anywhere, anytime he chooses. Jumbo, jet or ferry is there. He can do what he likes, when he likes, where he pleases, when he pleases. Brilliant. The glory cloud that rested on the tabernacle in the wilderness, the Shekinah. Shekinah is the Hebrew word for dwell. Just because the cloud wasn't there didn't mean he wasn't everywhere was was there, didn't mean he wasn't everywhere else as well. Exodus forty, thirty four, and the cloud covers the tent. God was dwelling right there, and everywhere at the same time, invisibly. He was just showing himself to be there with them, to reassure them. He presented himself, he localised himself and he can do it any time, anywhere he chooses. Whether you can see him or not, he's there. In Leviticus 16.2, the Lord issues a warning to Moses for Aaron. The cloud is Jesus, the visible member of the Godhead and there was a protocol to coming into the presence of which Aaron needed to be aware. In the New Testament, 1 John 14, Young's literal translation tells us that he tabernacled or dwelt among them. Here, Jesus limits and manifests himself in one place in his humanity. 
but at the same time in his divinity he was holding the universe together. And John 3.13 No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. He came from heaven and he is in heaven. A clear statement of being Jesus being in two places at once. He came down from heaven and he's ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit is the same. John 16, 7 to 13. God has a specific task for the Holy Spirit and it won't begin until he's taken up, Jesus tells them. In his omnipresence he was here already, but after Jesus' death, the Holy Spirit will be sent or commissioned for a specific task, just as Jesus was. I saw a stately Lord seated in his regal chamber. Before him stood a lowly manservant, respectful and waiting to do his Lord's will. The servant waited a long time, and it was clear he felt nothing but love for his Lord. Oddly, he was dressed in clothes that were scanty and worn almost to rags, filthy with grime and sweat. And then the Lord leaned forward and spoke something private to the servant, and the servant rushed from the Lord's presence as fast as he could run. Jesus stands before the Father, clothed in the filthy, sweaty rags of Adam's flesh, eager to perform the will of his Father in the redemption of mankind. Jesus had an assignment from the Father. The time will come when the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth and his current assignment will be over. 1 Thessalonians 2.7 is a reference to the restraining power he exerts whilst he is on earth. But the time will come when he will be taken out of the waste so that evil can run its full course. Right now he restrains it by his presence but the day will come when that will no longer be his ministry. His assignment will change. He won't be here in terms of being sent, but he will still be here in his omnipresence. It's important that we see and understand the specific assignments of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to see they don't contradict their omnipresence. What happens is that the role or the mission is different. The role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and during the seven years of the Great Tribulation is different from his role on the earth here now. He came upon people in the Old Testament. He did not indwell them as he does now. And it will be the same in the Great Tribulation. His restraining power will be removed from the earth and people will become believers in the same way as they did in the Old Testament. It's going to be very hard for them. Be aware, though, that the devil can only be in one place at a time. He is definitely not omnipresent. He does have a huge army of demons, but he can only be in one place at one time. And furthermore, he can do nothing unless he has God's permission. Luke twenty-two thirty-one shows us that, or we give a place to him. Ephesians four twenty-seven. So how can God? and evil dwell in the same place. God cannot be shocked. If he's omnipresent, he must come into contact with sin and the world. 
Does it shock you that God is present in a brothel or when a child is being abused? How can this happen? A ray of light hitting a big pile of manure is not contaminated by it. The manure does not contaminate the light. In the same way, God as light is not contaminated by being present in a brothel and he isn't shocked about being there either. He knows the depravity of which man is capable. Jesus was absolutely righteous. He was never contaminated. He was without sin. The devil had nothing in him. John 14:30. He did not become sin on the cross. He became the offering for sin, which is totally different. He was just like the Old Testament sacrifice. The lamb and the ox did not take on the nature of sin. Their blood atoned for it because they were without sin. Jesus walked absolutely pure and clean through the world, uncontaminated by it. He was absolute perfection, the Lamb of God, pure and innocent. This innocent man, Pilate says, and Judas says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Jesus did nothing wrong, ever. No one was able to bring any accusation against him. If they had been able to, you aren't saved, beloved. We've already covered that when God says we are far from him, it's relational, not spatial. Isaiah 55, 6 says, call on him while he's near. When the words near or far are mentioned, they're not talking about positionally close. What they're talking about is relationship. As I said before, this is not spatial. For example, you may meet with someone you know quite well and feel they are distant towards you, though they're right there with you. The distance is relational. This is the difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity is a religion, but it's based on relationship. Just religion, and you have a Pharisee. Rules, regulations, head full of wheels. All knowledge of God, but no experience of him. They know the Bible, but not the author. They know the book of the Lord, but not the Lord of the book. When we call ourselves a Christian, we mean we have a personal encounter with the living God, who is a person and personal. When God created Adam, he created a personal man for personal fellowship with himself. God is not far from anyone. He's living in the house of the unbeliever too. People often ask how the tribes and the hidden places in the jungles are going to be reached. Well, the answer is he's right there with them. He's in everything that surrounds them. They just prefer to believe in their gods who are not gods. If they call on him, they will find his near. Acts seventeen twenty two to 28 and here we have Paul on Mars Hill, verse 28. He is not far from anyone. In him we live and move and have our being. We could do with being reminded of this to our prophet from time to time. Ephesians two thirteen and 17, near and far off. Again, he's referring to relational closeness. Nothing in the Bible contradicts omnipresence. Everyone is near him, but if you reject him when he comes to you, he says you are far away from him. 
So let's end by seeing the Trinity as omnipresent. The Father you will find in 2 Chronicles 2, verse 6. The Son, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And the Holy Spirit in Psalm 139, verse 7. Now what does omnipresence mean for believers? Matthew 28, 20, he's with us no matter what. Our life is hid with Christ in God, Colossians 3, 3. The comfort of his presence and his help is near. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For every Christian this is a promise. You have his full attention at all times. The Lord is my helper. He's mine. I will not fear what man can do to me. This is a motivational verse. It motivates us to be holy because whatever we do, we do it in the presence of God. We aren't hidden from his eyes at any time. You might think you're alone, but he's right there with you. He sees and hears everything. A little story here to illustrate this. Someone I knew many years ago was leaving the office after everyone had gone home. They took the opportunity to borrow a few paper clips, pens and other small items, thinking as they did so, no one will see me. By the time they arrived home, they felt decidedly unwell and retired to bed. Lying there, feeling sick, they looked up and saw Jesus reclining across the bottom of the bed, asking the question, Why did you do it? I've given you everything you need. Needless to say, repentance was instantaneous. Their recovery the same, and the bits and pieces went back the following day. It's interesting, I think, that the act brought on sickness, which was healed the moment confession was made. Food for thought, that one. It's simply an example of his omnipresence. He really is with you wherever you go. He knows what you're thinking and everything you're doing or plan to do. If we had such a personal revelation of omnipresence, we might become holy very quickly. Hagar in the Old Testament, you will recall, called him the God who sees me when he saw her in the desert in Genesis 16.13. And Job 31.4 tells us he sees it all. We do need to keep this in mind at all times. God may be invisible, but he's very present. There is another story of a man who had a terrible car smash and afterwards met the people who helped him, thanking one man for not only talking to him but holding his hand throughout the ordeal. The man replied, No one could get near you. I was talking to you from the boot. He realised at that point that Jesus had reassuringly held his hand the whole time through his ordeal. How lovely is that? Next time, we will look at the holiness of God. God bless you. Um, you may wonder what that quote was from. Um, it was from a book called I Promise You a Crown by Julian of Norwich, um, a devotional daily reading by David Hazard. God bless.